Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Declaring our devotion. It's very interesting. You come to the book of Joshua, and as it comes down to the end of the book, Joshua does, in short, what Moses did in a much more lengthy way. But what you find uh, over and over again in Scripture, where you have men and women of God who not only live a life of devotion, but they declare their devotion. And Joshua, as he's getting ready to really retire and ultimately pass away, he knows his time on earth is short, he gives a farewell address. We're not gonna look at all of it. You can read it in uh, Joshua chapter 23 and 24, but I wanna highlight some very familiar verses, Joshua 24 and verse 14. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I want you to notice when he talks about all faithfulness, I think the ESV uses the word sincerity. Uh, the idea is with a wholeness, with a purity, without uh, any kind of, of surface or uh, sincerity. Really the word sinecera is where it comes from the Latin. It means without wax and what uh, pottery people would do if, the, if when the pottery was being fired and it developed a crack, they would wax it to hide the crack. And so reputable uh, pottery uh, dealers would have a, their pottery stamped sine sera, without wax. In other words, there's nothing hidden. There's nothing, it's not like it looks good on the surface, doesn't look good underneath. Some translations will say integrity, serve God with integrity. The idea in integrity, uh, we have the word in mathematics, an integer is a whole number. So there's a wholeness to you. It's all of you. It really is very much part of what we talked about Sunday as we talked about closing the gap. It's this idea that we would wholeheartedly, without hiding things, without acting like we're something we're not, but with all that's within us, there would be a sincerity, there would be a loyalty, there would be a wholeheartedness in our service of God. This is what he's calling for. Joshua is saying there's gonna be a lot of things that vie for your attention, my attention. He's warning the people of Israel, listen, you have to have a singular devotion to God or you'll find yourself going in a direction away from God. 
What we talked about Sunday is not optional. It's essential. Either we are growing closer to the Lord, we're closing the gap, or we are going farther away from the Lord. There is, there is no neutral in this. There's no staying where you're at. You're either moving forward towards him, or you're moving away from him, or you've gotten off course in following him. And Joshua is making a passionate plea to the people to be totally devoted, to be totally set with their heart on the Lord. Notice the words he uses here. Fear the Lord. The idea there is have a a holy reverence for God. Understand who he is, how awesome he is, how, how... you know, his attributes, how he sees where you're at. He knows where, where, where you're at in life. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words. He knows your actions. He knows, in light of that, live a life with that awareness. Serve him. Serve him with integrity, in truth, all integrity, all in truth. Throw away the God your forefathers worship. Here's the thing, it's not easy to stand for the Lord. It's not easy to do the wholehearted devotion because a thousand things will vie for your attention. And there will always be things that that will call to your affections. In fact, we look at it, Joshua 24 and verse 14, now fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness, throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's very, very interesting just to consider what this is saying, that essentially there'd always been among the people of God, people that were serving idols. We read about that in Leviticus 17. It talks about them serving the goat idols in Egypt. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, it talks about them worshiping demons in the wilderness. And now in the land of Canaan, apparently some of them have already fallen in to the idol worship of the Amorites. The people had never really totally rid themselves of false gods. And whenever you allow a false god to linger, you can be sure eventually it will grab the affection of your heart. It reminds us that for God's people, we, you know, you can have godly leadership, you can have your mouth full of manna, you can be conquering a new land, you can see miracles and yet still find yourself coming to places in your life where your loyalty to God is divided. And don't think that because you're in a place where there is blessing that God is okay with less than all of your devotion. And here's the thing with them. It's not that they didn't want God. They just wanted God and their other gods too. Jesus said this, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. 
And here's what Joshua knew as he's talking to them. He knew if they didn't make a choice to exclusively, passionately, wholeheartedly serve the Lord, if they didn't get rid of their idols, they would eventually serve those idols more than they serve the living God. That's why we have to pay attention to our heart. We have to pay attention to our affections. We have to pay attention to our time. We have to pay attention to what it is that really motivates us, what it is that really enthuses us, what it is that we really get passionate about. You say, well, can I have anything in my life besides the church? No, I'm teasing. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. I'm teasing. I'm just saying, it's not what you possess, it's what possesses you. And we have to be careful because the heart is, is, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. And at times we don't even know our own heart and we just have to be careful that we aren't finding ourselves serving things other than the Lord. If your service to God and time with God is limited to what you do at church, then honestly, probably when you're not in church, you're serving idols. And that's a a very strong statement, but it's said with the intent to cause some some thinking. If the only time you're worshiping God is when you're here, then you're worshiping something else the rest of the time. Because man, Men and women are incurable worshipers. We're designed to worship. And here's what happens. The Bible says over and over again, we become like the thing we worship. Whatever it is we set our heart on, it begins to steer us. Uh, they, we, we had talked uh, a few weeks ago on the, on the message on Achan, how the desires of this life what it does is it begins to direct our life. It chokes from the parable of the soils, the, the seed falling on weedy soil and the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things chokes the word of God and makes it unfruitful. That's idolatry. When things are in our life, that are choking out the life of God, when there are things in our life that are more important to us than the basics of growing in our walk with God, something is terribly wrong. What is an idol? Well, idols tend to be good things that are turned into God things and they become bad things. For most people, that's the way it plays out. We don't have to worry about the goat idols. We don't have to worry about the gods of the Amorites. We just have to worry about the gods of of, uh, capitalism and materialism and all of the things that vie for our time and attention. And a lot of times, it's not that the thing in and of itself, this is what fools people. They think, well, there's nothing wrong with this hobby, but a hobby can be a good thing, but it turn, if it turns into a God thing, it's a bad thing. If your hobby keeps you from going to church, something's wrong. If you economize or minimize your time with God and your commitment to God's house and God's people because of a good thing that's become a God thing, that will become a bad thing and it will not go well for you. 
Joshua is saying, be very, very careful what you serve. And what happens is usually people will worship more than one idol. Remember, they wanted to serve God, but then they also wanted to serve the God of the Amorites, and then there were the gods beyond the river, and there were the gods of Egypt, and it would have not been uncommon for them to have several gods they were trying to manage in their life. And that can happen to people. I mean, one of the things that I think affects much of of many well-meaning Christians is family becomes a God. Well, we're gonna gonna be a church because we need family time. Well, you know, family, a good thing, has become a God thing, and that's become a bad thing. You say, well, don't you think family comes, not before God it doesn't. And we have, to th- we have to think that through. If you're missing time with God and God's people so you can have time with your family, and that's a regular aspect of your life, something's wrong there. People can make a God out of their job, their career. They can make a job out of their health. I mean, they're what, working out or the, the things they do to maintain their health can become a God to them. It consumes them. It's what their passion is about. And, and it can be an idol. Obviously, substances, drugs, alcohol, um, uh, even food can become a god. People's appearance can become a god. People's hobbies, as we've said, can become a god. People's political party can become a god. Boy, do we have that happening all over the place. God is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. We are citizens of the United States of America, but our greater devotion belongs to the fact we're citizens of heaven. And that comes first and is most important. Money can become a God. Uh, Possessions, car, boat, house. Um, Obviously, sexual sin can become a God. Uh, other people can become a god. Here's, how, here's one of the ways you can tell if something's become an idol. So let me just kind of give you this to think about because what Joshua's concern is, is with the things that keep us from giving God a wholehearted, integral, sincere, passionate devotion. What do you treasure? That's a, that's a way, what is your greatest treasure? that you have to evaluate if you treasure it more than God. If you do, it's become your God. What brings you the most joy? What do you think of at the start of the day and the end of the day? When you get up, what's the first thing you think of? When you lay down at night, what are you thinking of? That can be a God. What do you fear losing? Or what can't you let go of? There's some of you, and you know you've got things going on in your life that are really keeping you from being wholehearted in your devotion to God, and and you're not willing to let go of it. You're trying to serve God and hang on to that thing, and it's not going to work because you're serving two gods. And Jesus said people can't do that. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll despise the one and be devoted to the other. Jesus said people aren't wired to be able to serve more than one God, especially when, it's, when we're talking about the true God. Maybe it's what brings you relief. So you worship work, but then you have to, you have to move beyond that 
to, um, to get comfort. So whether that is whether that is surfing the internet, whether that's watching TV, whether that's drinking, whether that's some other substance that gives you relief and it's how you cope with the stress of having worshiped work and now all of a sudden you've got to have something else that really has a hold on you as a way of getting a release for you, then you're worshiping gods, plural. Watch what Joshua says here. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Everybody's gonna serve someone and something. Everybody is. So everybody's, everybody's worshiping something or someone. We, though, have a choice to choose what that's going to be. And the only safe choice is to say, I'm going to set my heart and my affections on the one true God, on his son, Jesus Christ, and be filled with his spirit. I'm going to be all in for God. Everything else makes you less. I had somebody who said, well, don't you think it's kind of egotistical that God wants, um, wants people to worship him and it's all about him? That's, that's crazy thinking. Because if we become like the object of our worship, God loves us so much that he wants what he has, who he is, what he's like to be experienced in our life, that we might have life and have it more abundantly, that we might have life in the message uh, more and better than we ever dreamed of, John 10, 10. God's, God's heart in us worshiping is that we would know the goodness that can only come from him alone, that we would be like him. Our greatest joy, our greatest, our greatest peace, our greatest blessing comes when we are the most like he is. When we're seeing it like he is, when we're thinking like he does, when we're living like he's directing, that is, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, Isaiah 26, 3. Choose then for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what he's saying is he is declaring to the nation and he is declaring to his tribe and he is declaring to his family, this is where we're headed. There's a power in not only choosing to serve the Lord, but vocalizing your commitment to the Lord. Now, let me just say this. I want to put a little caveat. There are some people very quick to declare their commitment to the Lord. They just don't live like they're committed to the Lord. And if you have a parent who declares a commitment to the Lord, but doesn't really live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, then you'll embitter your children against the Lord. So don't talk about how much you're committed to serving God if you're not committed to living for God in a way that your children can see that played out in your life. So if you're going to talk about how important prayer is, your children better see you pray. If you're going to talk about how important the Word of God is, your people or your children better see you reading the Word of God. If you're going to talk about how, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, then your children need to see you serve the Lord. 
Because if you tell your children to do something and you don't do it relative to spiritual issues, you will embitter them against the Lord or you will dishearten them in, in their pursuit of God. And no, no parent is ever going to bat a thousand. I mean, you can imagine as a preacher that your, your children are hearing you preach week after week and they're watching you live and there is nobody who is perfect. And in that sense, every preacher, I don't mean this as a, as a screen for, for preachers to be hypocritical and not doing what they're preaching. It's not what I'm saying. But the fact of the matter is, if you're honestly declaring the word of God, you're still a human. And there are going to be points where you're going to preach a better gospel on some days than you live, right? So the issue is in those moments when you have made those declarations, and I promise you, when we declare something, the enemy will challenge it. It's just how it works. You say, well, then I'm not gonna declare it. Well, then you'll miss the value and the power of making a vocal proclamation of, of commitment to the Lord, which God honors, which strengthens your faith, which I believe releases God's blessing in your life. So you don't want to do without that. But in the moments where your practice or your human frailty causes you to fall beneath the standard of your faith, in that moment you need to humble yourself and apologize. If you don't apologize, your children will view you as a hypocrite and you will lose a continued influence with them. If you will apologize and you'll be honest in owning your failures and ask their forgiveness, your children will love you for it. Children are very forgiving in that, in that respect. So you declare your, your commitment to the Lord. And you declare it. I think, it's, I think it's valuable to declare it to not only your family, but to your friends. I think it's important to declare it in your workplace. Rather than being the quiet person who never says anything, I don't think you need to be obnoxious, but you need to be bold enough to say, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if people make fun of you because of that, so be it. But what it does is it sets the table for God to declare his glory, display his glory through you and through your life in ways you can't begin to imagine. But there's a power in declaring what God has laid on our heart or what we have purposed to do in our life that God blesses. Here's what's, here's what's interesting with Joshua's declaration. After Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. As we saw Sunday, a lot of the tribes did a fairly poor job of that. The people served the Lord, and it came down really to whole, an absence of wholeheartedness. It's very difficult to conquer hostile enemies if you're half-hearted. I would just, again, I would just say this. There are some of you, and you're, you're fighting internal battles and struggles, and it's, it's very difficult. You're not having victory, and in a word, it's because you're not wholehearted. I'm not being unkind. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying that when, you, when you're wholehearted in your service of the Lord, vict some victories will only come by that way. 
And in that sense, we can find ourselves, people can find themselves living with less victory than God would desire for them, and it's because their heart isn't fully set on seeking the Lord, which is why we want to close the gap. So like Caleb, we can defeat the giants. We can win the victory. Many of them did not. It says this, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who neither knew the, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Listen, the Bible says one generation declares your glory to the next. This is, this is the job of every generation, is to position ourselves to raise. This is why camps, this is why we do what we do with the camps. It's, it's why we've put a premium on the children in the youth ministry at the church and the early childhood ministry. Because we're not babysitting kids in the nursery, we're planting God's word in their heart. I'm telling you, it will bring a harvest. So the job is, you know, it's why you're what you've watched. If you've been at James River the last 30 years, good night is this place changed over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why is because we are committed. We're never going to change the, the message, but we are not going to hold to a certain style as the style that God blesses because that's just not true. But we're going to be relevant to the generation so we can pass the baton to the next generation. And everything as, you know, hey, listen, I'm, I'm 58 years old. Um, yeah, I'm going to be 59. I can't believe it. <laughs> next month but Debbie gets there first. <laughs> so a lot of you ladies are like, you are dead meat, man. <laughs> so, but you know, at this point in my life, this is all I'm, this is what I'm thinking about. It's, it's setting, it, at some point you have to think, what's, What's going to happen to this next generation? We want to be thinking about it all the time, but one generation declares your glory to the next. Declares, did you get that? You got to declare it. You got to speak it. You got to make way for it. You got to prepare it. You got to, you got to work. This is what this is all about. This is what Welcome to the Future is about. It's, it's what all of this is about is to say, hey, it might be good enough for, for you if, if you're 59 years old and say, you know what? Hey, this is all good. Why should? But it's not about that. It's about getting ready for the generation that follows that they might experience the power and the presence of God, that they might be strong in him, that they might declare his glory to their generation and to the next generation if the Lord tarries. So that's what we want. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals and they forsook the Lord, the God of their forefathers who had brought them out of Egypt and they followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Listen, if you, 
if you don't serve God wholeheartedly, your life's really distressing. I mean, it's just one problem after another with no power to bring the victory God would want you to have in, in serving him. And so Joshua is saying, listen, serve God with all that's within your heart. And when they did, things went well. And when they didn't, things went bad. And if you and I will say, we're gonna serve the Lord and with all of our hearts serve him, we're gonna know the blessing. I mean, honestly, it's what you're seeing in this place. So, I mean, hundreds and thousands of people have said, I'm gonna serve God with all of my heart. The pastors have said, we're gonna serve God with all of our heart. You're watching the Lord bless in response to that. We're calling on God, you're calling on God. Good night, you're here at the, the prayer meeting. So uh, you're, you're seeking the Lord. You're declaring by coming to this prayer meeting, this is important, this matters. And I'm telling you, God will honor you for it. He will bless you for it. 